So as we're looking at spaces where harm reduction supplies and supports are provided, so they're agencies that are contracted as uh, harm reduction distribution programs, and they'll have all the supplies and naloxone. Naloxone is a medication used to reverse the effects of opioids. It's usually used when somebody stops breathing, as in an opioid overdose. The medication is part of a series of harm reduction practices happening throughout Toronto. As part of a series of community outreach programs, kits are given to drug users. Some of these outreach efforts happen through satellites created and operated by people who use drugs. Welcome to Facing Addiction. I'm Lana Lovell, your host. Just a reminder, this podcast contains discussions around racism and drug use, which may be triggering to some audience members. We encourage you to care for your own mental health and well-being. If anything you hear in this podcast is triggering for you, please go to the website workmanarts.com for a list of mental health resources. For this episode, we're talking mostly about satellites. So as we're looking at spaces where harm reduction supplies and supports are provided, so they're agencies that are contracted as uh, harm reduction distribution programs, and they'll have all the supplies and naloxone. But what other people do is they have satellites in their homes. Some of them are funded, so they partner with organizations that are mostly located downtown that have accessed funding for harm reduction satellites. And it's a community member that will have their unit available for folks that want to use in the space. They're trained in overdose prevention and response. They'll have, you know, a drawer in their house with some safe supplies. The food bank might stock them up with some extra snacks, soups, things, because they know they'll have visitors. And those are satellite workers. So we have a few on Weston Road. And there are also some houses that people work out of. And uh, they've actually needed a lot more support during COVID because they haven't been able to access condoms and other supplies as they've needed them. So we actually stock people up, like we'll overstock them. We'll make sure they have more than enough, right? We'll hear concerns about, oh, what if people sell them? And, you know, you think about things that people do for survival. It's West Toronto, late, on a very cold winter night. But I've turned off the heater in the car because the sound of the fan interferes with our sound recording. I'm driving in my car with Cassandra Smith, harm reduction specialist with Black Cap, the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention. She began this harm reduction work as a teenager. I was an awkward kid. I don't like being the center of attention and speaking to rooms of hundreds of people. That definitely just threw me out of my comfort zone. But I think the challenge also motivated me to see how far I could go. We weren't handing out safer drug use kits. We were handing out condoms, not knowing that that was harm reduction. And when you were 17, when I was 17, but we built, we built the awareness into like we could respond and we can provide support awareness around the program through connecting with other youth. And I think that's a strategy that a lot of programs have strayed away from that they need to reintroduce themselves to because if the youth aren't listening to their parents or their aunties and uncles 
me and my grown self going up to a group of them, they're just gonna look at me like I'm another one of their aunties. They need to see people like them teaching them things. It actually works. So my first job in harm reduction was when I was 17. Youth Clinical Services partnered with Davenport First Neighborhood Center and they built a squad of like youth outreach workers and their area of focus was Jane and Finch. And what they wanted to do, and this is the first time I ever learned about harm reduction. They came to us as youth at the community center, said, look, we can train you. We'll teach you how to do outreach to other youth because we're trying to go into Jane and Finch and we're getting shot at. That's what the adults were telling us. They were wearing the wrong colors, pulling up in the wrong color cars, and they thought youth would have better chance of getting through to other youth, which it was actually a successful program. We packed goodie bags and went to the the gym program. So I think Friday nights they would have like ball night and we'd go give out our goodie bags. They would have condoms, um, little inserts of information, some gum and other little goodies for them. And that was a way of kind of giving them what they needed without telling them or teaching them or shaking their, our finger at them. And that approach worked. Now that was a pilot project. We see some programs in the city taking place that are similar where you'll see like a peer-to-peer project, but I've yet to see another youth outreach program that's a harm reduction program. And I think that that's a really effective approach. So that was my first coordinator position. That's when I was 17. I came back to harm reduction, I would say eight, nine years ago, working in a neighborhood and family center. And that's how I started working at the satellite too. It's taken decades and after some lived experience, Cassandra has created her own lane in the field of harm reduction. Cassandra knows Black people are suffering, and she's reaching out to them. Cassandra and I are now sitting outside a convenience store where a person who operates an independent satellite lives in the basement. I'm surprised, perhaps because the storefront basements I've visited over the years, usually for the washrooms of a barbershop or a bookstore or a restaurant have not been suitable for living. Anyway, we're here because Cassandra got a call asking to visit the satellite. So she wants to check in. They need support and more supplies. Things like naloxone. It's not a long wait. So it's nice to see satellites. It's nice to see that people are kind of bringing that work home and providing it after hours when all the centers are closed. So I support a couple of them along the way, along actually in my own community here and some of the issues that have happened recently. Someone was reported as a missing person. So, you know, we're getting calls about that and someone was revived. Well, thankfully, our overdose was reversed today, but the satellite worker is really impacted by those experiences and losing a couple of people in the past couple months They feel like they can't do enough. They're not doing enough. So checking in with them is really important. Cassandra takes a really positive outlook on a very complex situation. With no judgment, she helps people dealing with trauma, isolation, and pain. People who are open to attack from all sides, like having their real apartment taken over so that they can end up in a convenience store basement or homeless. That can happen when a drug user gets into debt with a dealer. So apartment takeovers happen a lot. Um, we, we've supported housing buildings as well. 
where dealers will make some type of arrangement with the tenant. The tenant will have some kind of debt and the dealer will say, okay, I'll be here for a week until you pay off your debt. That week turns into two weeks, into a month. Maybe more folks are coming in. So these are issues that working groups and committees will address as well. Sometimes we do have to involve law enforcement um, because we'll see human trafficking and other circumstances that we can't handle as a program. But we try to do as much as we can without involving the police. But that becomes difficult with satellite workers because they're vulnerable, right? They're not, they don't have the supervision of any staff. They're pretty much, you know, doing things on their own under the guidance of a program, but you know, evenings and weekends, they're, they're, they're pretty vulnerable. So we try to provide that support as much as we can and, uh, and encouraging people all over to have satellites as well. Like it's something that some people are intimidated by, just that concept of being a satellite worker, but some of them are, in, are doing it already and don't even realize, right? So I just think it's important that we all share, have the same access to information so promoting that within the African, Caribbean, and Black community is important, too. And letting people know that they're satellites. We're going to pass the harm reduction program soon. Um, it's close to the Shoppers Drug Mart. So once we pass this light here, on the left-hand side, there's a church right before the Shoppers. And you'll just see the center right there. That's not the satellite I'm going to, but I'm just showing you a program. So you'll see them on the weekends, lined up for a meal program, food bank. And I like their food bank because when their truck comes, they actually just hand it out right there. So people are lined up with their carts, their buggies, and they're getting their, their buggies filled with groceries. As opposed to making an appointment and coming on a designated day. So we'll see a lot of harm reduction supplies being picked up on days that people come to pick up their food as well. Because we look at the attention that also brings and the stigma around substance use. So people don't like accessing, usually they're not comfortable accessing or picking up supplies in front of others. So they'll ask for other things to kind of be added to the bag, which picking up a food bank hamper is great because then you can throw some supplies in a black bag and give them to them too and no one sees. So just respect for privacy and confidentiality is really important too. The accessibility of supplies is not about catering to obsession. It's about addressing service gaps that lead to overdose death. According to the Ontario Office of the Chief Coroner, an average of 328 suspected drug-related deaths were reported each month during 2021. In downtown Toronto, the need for harm reduction kits is real. Actually seeing... Um new dealers coming in with fentanyl and pushing fentanyl, pushing opioids on people who, you know, crack smokers, right? That's the drug of choice. Because you'll hear, you know, cracks the, the poor man's cocaine or whatever, but it actually literally is. You don't see people who are waiting on a check once a month really using cocaine on a regular basis. That might be a treat or like a partying when they get a big check or but the regular everyday drug would be crack because it's affordable. But unfortunately, the dealers, the newer dealers, are cooking the crack and putting some dangerous things together. And because people don't know what they're taking, what they're buying, that's what leaves them vulnerable to overdosing. So 
I could smoke crack for the last 20 years, but if my dealer gets locked up, I'm going to a new dealer. And what happens? I'm, I'm vulnerable to whatever that new dealer is giving me. So either my body has that tolerance or it doesn't, and I won't know until I take the drug. So that's the danger that we're seeing a lot. The North End saw the 200% increase in overdoses and people were like, where? Yeah, it's all the areas that didn't have the supervised consumption sites and the overdose prevention sites. That's what it is. They need one out here.